Hi, this is Katie Wenger with Obstacles Under the Surface. And today we have with us Amy Marlowe McCoy. We're going to be talking about unhealthy bonds and how that can impact you and your relationship and some of where that may have come from. We know that it feels very challenging to be in that situation where you are bonded to someone in an unhealthy way, whether it's someone from your family of origin or a relationship that you have now, romantic, friendship, or other relationship. So being joined by Amy today is an honor. So she will be talking to us about her work. She is a licensed professional counselor and the author of the Gaslighting Recovery Workbook, Healing from Emotional Abuse. Amy is an expert in working with clients who have grown up with narcissistic, toxic, or emotionally immature parents. She can help you heal from the pain of a dysfunctional family of origin. And an emotionally immature, narcissistic relationship as an adult can leave you finding it harder to set boundaries and follow through. Amy also co-authored with Amy Kemp, The Clinician's Guide to Treating Adult Children of Narcissists, Pulling Back the Curtain on Manipulation, Gaslighting, and Emotional Abuse in Narcissistic Families, which releases in February. So welcome, Amy. Glad you could be with us. Thank you so much, Katie. I am really excited to be here. Very happy to chat with you a little bit about some of the challenges that having emotionally abusive childhood relationships can bring, and hopefully to offer some helpful tips for your listeners who may be healing from those kinds of wounds now. Yes, it's very appreciated. And I'm sure that anyone listening who is in this situation or has been through any of this trauma would appreciate your expertise on, you know, where to start or where to go to work on how they're feeling and what's happening in their life and what happened in the past. Can you tell us, Amy, a little bit more about your practice and the clients that you work with? Sure. So I have a private practice that I've been running for several years now that has really from day one been focused on supporting adult children of narcissists. Um, I've found that the majority of the clients I have encountered that I've really like loved the work that I did with them and that felt like it, this was really, you know, kind of kismet to come together. You know, these are the clients that right. are trying to recover from emotionally abusive families, families where they were gaslit or were scapegoated in many cases. Uh, where they were made to feel they were the problem and, you know, couldn't understand now why life was so difficult for them. And so it's been a real joy and privilege to help these clients shed some of that old baggage that they've had to carry and find a new way to move in their lives and relationships. Well, and I will tell you something interesting too, that I'm sure you encounter all the time, Amy, is that clients sometimes tell me that, that they feel like they're the problem in their family and they haven't come to the point of realization yet that 
that isn't actually the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same. Absolutely. I, I have so many clients that are amazing, wonderful people. Like if you met this person, you would think, my gosh, how could they think anything negative about themselves? They're clearly amazing, but they don't see it that way. They really right. believe that there's nothing special about them, that every relationship problem that comes up is their fault and that people are right to be so hard on them. And it's really heartbreaking as a clinician to see someone who is so absolutely certain that they're the problem and there must be something fundamentally wrong with them, that that's the only answer possible. I, it really makes me hurt for those clients who believe that about themselves, especially when those messages came from people who should have been really loving and supporting them. Exactly. And that is the most difficult part, I think, to understand as someone outside the situation is how someone that is supposed to love or nurture these children and now adults can live with perpetuating that belief in the client. It's, mm -hmm. it, it's very sad. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. It is great to see them at that moment when the client, you know, realizes that there is a different lens to look at this through and that they can start that work of building themselves up and looking at the world in a different way that than they were really conditioned to believe it as and to see themselves as and to see that growth that is so fulfilling as a clinician. I'm sure yes. you felt that many times. Yes, yes. I mean, you all may think that we are being a little over the top when we say you glow when mm. you like come to this realization or, or see things suddenly in such a different way. I mean, it's not, I'm not exaggerating the, the change that can come over someone when they're finally able to like release this lens that they've had to see themselves through and see things differently. It really is astonishing. It's, it's such a change. And I'm so excited every time I get to be a part of that. And, and so hopeful for all of the clients that walk through my door, that they will get to have that moment. You're right. That is such a great way to explain it, that glow and um, knowing that you feel that fulfillment too. I mean, it really makes what you do worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think is most important for people that are listening to know about the work that you do, Amy? I think this might sound a little cheesy and I mean, I am kind of cheesy, so that goes with the territory. <laughs> <laughs> I think the most thing I want people most to know is that there really is always hope for you to heal. Yes. Like no matter how much you've been hurt, no matter how badly you feel about yourself, you can change, you can heal, you can grow. You don't have to stay in the same cycle you've been stuck in, even if you've repeated it a thousand times and you don't have to carry right. that forward into another generation. I have a lot of clients that are absolutely terrified to become parents themselves because they're so afraid they're going to be the same kind of parent they had. And I, I just want those clients and, and folks that have those fears to know 
you could be the person who breaks a generational curse. Just because you were raised in a certain way doesn't mean you're automatically going to be that same person as a parent. You could bring something completely different. And that could change the course of a whole family's legacy. So it's never too late to heal. You have infinite capacity to heal and you don't have to repeat what was done to you. It's not a foregone conclusion. That's so wonderful to hear. And I'm sure inspirational to so many, Amy. I think it is so easy for people to get stuck in patterns. You know, for I explore lots of different patterns with people. Um, and on this podcast and in my upcoming book, you know, talking about obstacles under the surface are a lot of those patterns. We don't Mm -hmm. know where they come from. And sometimes we don't realize we're doing them. We just wonder why we keep getting the same result. So exploring that and that idea of breaking that generational pattern or that intergenerational trauma of parenting in the same way that you were parented, or maybe choosing not to be a parent because you're afraid of being the same type of parent that you had is, is scary. And it, it is something that you can change. Absolutely. Like you said. So I think that is really important for people to know and understand is that going through some of these patterns and looking at your childhood, looking at the way you make decisions now and the way that you do and did in the past bond to other people is not what you have to continue as a parent, as a grandparent, as an aunt or an uncle, you know, you can change that trajectory. And that's so inspirational. Yes. Uh, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yes. I, I love seeing those moments in session and, and seeing people, not only light up and recognize like, oh, wait a minute, there is a pattern here. I was, I was part of it and I don't have to stay in it, but also like to just recognize, wait a minute, this isn't all happening because I'm a bad person. It's happening because, you know, this is what I know relationships to be. This is like my normal, it's familiar, but I don't have to to stay with it. We stay with what we know, right? Like, Yes. So many of us are afraid of doing things wrong. If we know how to do this kind of relationship, even if it's dysfunctional and it hurts us, there is something almost comforting, but certainly more secure in kind of doing what you know, even if you don't really want to, there's a draw to the familiar. Absolutely. And I think that's a key piece in people being stuck in unhealthy relationships as well, or relationship with someone who is emotionally immature, narcissistic. And I know you're going to talk about that in a little bit, that even though it's painful and you, even when you know it's unhealthy, it's scary to think about leaving or doing things differently or making a change or even saying this isn't how a relationship should be. Yeah. Yeah. There's a a lot of risk in doing something different 
And it takes tremendous courage to go against the grain. Yeah. And people have a lot more courage. I think our survivor clients have a lot more courage than they give themselves credit for. Um, But it does call on every ounce of that to say, I'm going to make this decision not to stay in the status quo or not to accept what I've always accepted, not to believe that this message that I've always believed. And so when it's hard and people get hard on themselves, you know, oh, I should be able to do this. I, why am I just, I know this is bad. Why can't I change it? What's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you. You are just growing and growth doesn't happen overnight. It takes some time and it takes some effort. You'll get there. It does. And it isn't easy. You're right about that too, but it is so rewarding. And, you know, the other positives that you can see come out of making that change are very fulfilling in life. And, you know, we want people to be happy and at peace and you got to do these things sometimes to get to that point. Yeah. Can, can you explain, Amy, what's different about from typical, maybe typical is the wrong word, but about the bonds that some people may understand coming from healthy relationships or healthy families. What is different about the bond that forms in an emotionally immature narcissistic relationship? Yeah. So, so one of, I think the biggest differences between like a a healthy, um, securely attached upbringing and what that teaches you about relationships versus someone who grows up in a narcissistic home. And what they learn is that in the narcissistic family, very often relationships are built around the role that you fill in service of the narcissistic person. So for some people, their role is, is like the emotional caretaker. Mm -hmm. So almost everything they do is sort of built around that identity and they don't necessarily get to have much of a self outside of that identity. So most of what they do fulfills that because that's what was expected of them. That's how they're related to. That's what they believe relationships are supposed to to feel like is they fulfill this role. They are, if not appreciated for it, like that's, it's sort of accepted that, okay, this is what you do. You did fine at it. Um, And if they don't fulfill that role, they may feel like they have nothing else to offer and therefore no reason for anybody to stay with them. That's awful. I mean, you think about the pressure that that must put on a person. And I know people have described it to me when you talk about putting all your time and effort into caretaking someone, you know, this other person and not taking time individually, people have described it to me as like feeling this internal void almost like, like lack of identity, lack of self. Yeah. It's exhausting. Like if you're, if your whole life is really focused around meeting someone else's needs, that doesn't leave very much room for your needs. And, yeah. you know, add to that, that in many narcissistic families, There are also messages, both overt and kind of passive aggressive or under the surface about you having needs is selfish. The narcissist having needs is the way it should be. But if you have needs, 
that takes away from meeting the other person's and therefore you are wronging or hurting them. So there's a double standard. And for the person who's put in a caretaking or like a managing, helping, supporting role, they're sent this message that they need to do this for the other person, but don't expect anyone to do it for you because that would be taking away from them. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's just, it's, you really hope that you can get the message out more about this happening because to think of people living their lives this way is, is sad. It's sad. It's unnecessary. Yeah, it, you know, yeah. I do think that one really beautiful thing is of all things, uh, Disney. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of your listeners, maybe if they have kids have probably heard of or watched the Disney movie Encanto. And yes. I absolutely loved that movie. I thought it was a really beautiful portrayal of how family trauma can affect relationships mm. and, and hurt them and twist them. And, you know, between Louisa the oldest sister in the family um, and her right. song under pressure and just her making it known. Like I am crumbling. I am being crushed by the pressure of trying to carry every family burden and take care of everyone and never show weakness. I think that was a moment where a lot of adult survivors of narcissistic abuse really felt seen because they can relate to that crushing pressure or to yeah. Isabella's need to always be perfect and set her own needs aside for the family. You know, many golden child adults um, had that pressure to always be that perfect representative, because if you weren't, then you might be ignored or overlooked or kind of looked down upon the way that Mirabelle was. I think there's a lot of really rich um, symbolism in that movie that speaks to folks who grow up, who grew up in families where relationships were primarily based on your role or your utility. Yeah, and there are different specified roles that typically occur, correct? And, and like a whole cycle and that continues with the adults, right? There's yeah, a lot to it, learn about those, those family dynamics and roles. In these families. Absolutely. It can be very hard to shake off the roles that you were raised in, even if they no longer, you know, fit your life now, or you don't want to carry them on wanting to make a change and actually changing the way that you function in relationships are not always the same thing and can be really difficult. Um, recognizing them is a really important first step and then getting good support to help you make those changes is really important too. Yes, definitely. So what can you explain about what makes it difficult for someone in a relationship like this to communicate and feel comfortable or safe? Well, there are a lot of behaviors. Um, some people will call them tactics. There are a lot of things that people who are highly narcissistic or who are emotionally immature will do to enforce their desires. Some of those include things like gaslighting, where one person makes another feel that they are 
going crazy or that they can't trust their own instinct, their memories, their thoughts or feelings, uh, that they're always wrong. So that can really chip away at someone's self-confidence to stand up for themselves, to communicate. You know, if you're being told that even what you feel is wrong, you know, you shouldn't feel like that. It didn't go that way. You're making a big deal out of nothing. You know, you are remembering it wrong and you're getting yourself all worked up over something that never happened. Those kinds of statements can really do a number on someone's self-confidence and make them feel like they can't ever speak up for themselves because they don't know if they're remembering things truthfully. There's also a lot of um, really toxic behaviors like belittling, talking over, dismissing, rejecting someone, um, threatened or actual abandonment, uh, getting other family members to put pressure and guilt trips on someone, um, making the person who's trying to communicate their feelings believe that they are harming someone else by doing so, like what I said earlier about being selfish, um, or, you know, oh, so I guess I'm just, I must be just a terrible person then. If I've hurt you so badly, there must be nothing good about me and maybe you don't want anything to do with me. So, you know, fine, you do what you need to do and, and sort of making the other person feel that they have somehow wronged them for speaking up. Those are some really powerful tactics that are very effective to make someone feel like they can't actually communicate clearly. Yeah, absolutely. And that is also, I think, makes it difficult to really clearly and truly know yourself because you've always been questioned or made to feel like what you know at your core, what you know instinctively about yourself or different situations or other people is wrong. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's one of the things that makes it so very difficult, even when you do recognize that something, you know, isn't working anymore in a relationship or something is unhealthy. If you have been made to believe that you can't trust yourself, that everything you think or believe is wrong, that your feelings are wrong, you know, that you are just this nutty, can't trust yourself, whatever kind of a person you don't have a lot of faith that your choices to change things are the right ones. You may feel really paralyzed because what if you're wrong this time too? You may be really afraid that you'll do something that has a significant negative impact and it'll be all your fault because there you did, you know, you went and did it again. You went and messed up again. Right. Uh, And, and that takes some time to kind of relearn how to trust your system and how to let go of those messages that you were made to believe about yourself, because you have to be able to believe in yourself at least a little bit to take that leap of faith and try something different. Yes. Yeah. And this may have been covered earlier because you've given us so much wonderful information so far, Amy, but Anything additional about how children that grow up in in an environment with a parent who is emotionally immature or narcissistic impacted? I'd say a lot of the kids who grow up in these environments become kind of people pleasers. 
Not all. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, some people grow up to become very narcissistic themselves, but a lot of the folks I've seen, you know, they grew up really conflict averse. They've seen how much, you know, angering a narcissistic parent can open the floodgates. They don't want to do that. So they try to be very um, compliant or very good so that they don't get in trouble. They may be really reluctant to rock the boat because they're afraid of the consequences or they just don't trust that there could be any good from that. But also the folks that come out of these environments are incredibly resilient. They, they're right. really compassionate, loving, caring, sensitive people. And that has been distorted in these relationships to make them feel like it's either a liability or uh something wrong about them. It's a problem. And what they do need to learn is how to take care of themselves with their sensitivity. But they're often really amazing people who haven't had much opportunity to appreciate how awesome they are. So that's honestly one of my favorite parts of doing therapy with adult children of narcissists is like, I get to see how awesome they are. And the idea of them starting to slowly recognize that themselves is like, it's a great moment. And it's something they yeah. do have to learn, but that they can. And I love that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's great to see and to work through with, with the client also and get them to that place where they're feeling better and stronger and can make those decisions for themselves about life and themselves that are not dictated by this other person or system, you know, yeah. that's emotionally immature and narcissistic. So I wanted to also ask you, Amy, this is a little off the cuff here. Um, if you think that the emotionally immature person, be it a parent or sibling or spouse or relationship partner, do you think that they can change or heal? So I'm going to say yes with an asterisk. Okay. I do think, I mean, I don't think there's anyone who is beyond hope. I think anybody has the capacity to change, but they do need to have the desire and the willingness to do the hard work that change requires. And that I would say is something that I have not seen many highly narcissistic people really have. If you are very narcissistic or very high in narcissistic traits, one of the really common uh, elements of that is a lack of insight or introspection. Yeah. So, you know, most people who are highly narcissistic don't look inward and say, oh, I'm a pretty narcissistic person. Uh, and they are very highly defensive. So if somebody else says, you know, these behaviors that you are showing are really hurtful, or you are not thinking about other people, you're not showing empathy or compassion, you are being really manipulative. They don't hear that. They see an attack on themselves. And for many people who are highly narcissistic, they respond by attacking back and, and hitting twice as hard. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's really challenging. Absolutely. I'd say if you have someone who is maybe a little bit lower on the narcissistic scale, who is 
more narcissistic than is ideal, but has a little bit of self-awareness about it, which does sometimes happen. Then with those folks, there is more of a chance because they have a stake in it. Like they see that a relationship has been damaged or their kid has told them, I don't want to deal with you because, you know, you never listen to me or you only care about what's good for you in it. And they might sit back and say, well, wait a minute. I, I don't want to not talk to my kid. I think they might be a little oversensitive, but maybe fine. I'll figure out, I'll learn how to, to talk to them differently so that they don't feel that way or so that I can not lose a relationship entirely. I have seen some folks who are, you know, kind of on the lighter end of the narcissistic narcissistic spectrum of behavior that do show promise and do show a desire to change. The question is whether they have both the insight and the willingness. And that is so highly dependent on the specific individual person and what they value. You know, if they value the relationship in a way that they're willing to change or if they don't. So it's a qualified yes. <laughs> yeah, that's great information. And and I think what I've read, learned, seen with clients, I mean, I think I've seen a couple of clients be motivated by you know, their children saying, you're not going to be part of your grandchildren's life if you continue with this behavior or um, unless you get help or make these changes. I think it's so rare, like you said, because the lack of introspection and empathy to take that feedback from a spouse or a dating partner or sadly even a child you know, an an adult child probably, or maybe a teenager because it's their brain works so differently and processes things so differently. And we could probably do a whole show about why that is, but, um, you know, it's, it's rare. I agree with you. And I think same thing, agree with you on that. If they're lower on that spectrum, of narcissistic traits. Um, We know that DBT, that dialectical behavior therapy is the one that people should utilize and seek out if they have these traits themselves and want to seek treatment and work on change. But I looked up the, the statistic the other day for how often that's successful. And it's so low, it's like under 10%. It's, it really is, um, you know, which is not to discourage people from seeking treatment again, but it is for someone that is in a relationship with that person to understand that there may not ever be change. And if there is, it may not be that significant or yeah, long-standing yeah. stable, you know? Yeah, I I totally agree. It's, you know, people often are afraid to set really firm boundaries with a narcissistic loved one because they don't want to shut the door. They don't want to feel like they are, you know, precluding any possibility of things changing. And they're afraid they'll feel terribly guilty if, you know, the other person does try to change and they don't honor the effort. And I, you know, I always want to both 
appreciate and support the compassion and the care for those, those clients and also be like, you know, let's be realistic too. Could they change? Sure. I think anybody can, but you also need to look at your history with that person and see like, have they given you any indication till now that they are willing to, or likely to, you know, what's your history with this person tell you about them? So let that kind of guide how much you put into the likelihood of them changing. Yes, sometimes people can be kind of shaken out of their norm by realizing I might never see my grandchildren or I might never speak to my son or daughter again or to my partner again. You know, I might have to negotiate a custody agreement because my partner is saying they can't do this with me anymore. Sometimes that can kind of shake people out of it. And, and I'd say that's often the folks who also have a, maybe a narcissistic parent and have taken on a lot of those behaviors, but have enough, you know, as we said earlier, introspection or self-awareness to say, oh, wait a minute, maybe this is not how I want to be. Maybe I want to learn how to do right. things differently. It's very, very, very difficult because you have to face some hard truths about yourself in those cases. Like, Maybe I did hurt people. Maybe I've done things that people really hated. Maybe I haven't been the, you know, stellar, top of the line, best of everything kind of individual that I've needed to think I am in order to, to feel okay about myself. And you have to have a little bit of resiliency to withstand that pain. And that's just something that most of the narcissistic people I've worked with they don't have a lot of that. So it's very, very, very hard for them to separate. You did this thing that was really hurtful to me from you're awful and worthless and I don't want anything mm-hmm. to do with you. You know, they hear yeah. it as the same thing and they right. can't tolerate it. So then they kind of fall back exactly. on, you know, attacking or cutting the other person down or, you know, whatever they normally do. Yes. Yeah, I definitely see that as well. And I think that um, for the emotionally immature or narcissistic person that they they also, to some extent, get something, um, can't think of the word, something that sustains them or that encourages the behavior out of the chaos or the crisis situation. So you mentioned even like the custody, you know, negotiation or situation or the, you know, adult child saying, I don't want you in my life. Sometimes the, you know, the emotionally immature narcissistic person is getting something that fuels them out of that. So That's why it doesn't always bring them to that moment where they realize I need to make a change. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's unfortunate. I think that, um, you know, and part of what keeps people in these unhealthy bonds is the love bombing and then the abuse. Right. So they will, this is, these relationships are very cyclical. Like they will put you on a pedestal and then they will tear you down and it will, it will not just be, I don't say that lightly. It's like going from one extreme to the other. It's like, you're like you said earlier, you're 
the worst person in the world if you give them negative feedback. Like you can go from being the most amazing person in the world to the worst person in the world yeah. overnight to someone like this. So absolutely, absolutely. You get stuck in that cycle and it's it's hard to get out. And it's, as we talked about in the beginning, hard to imagine change or life being any different, especially if that's all you've ever known. But even if it's not how you grew up and this is your adult romantic relationship or marriage, it, it can be difficult to imagine something different. And obviously there's a whole bunch of scary things about, you know, sharing custody or co-parenting or, you know, what the retribution will be on you in court or in life if you, you know, if this person sees you as rejecting them. And yeah, certainly no one wants their family to break up either or their relationship. So it's challenging to come to that point where you realize that that's what needs to happen. Definitely. And, you know, I, I say this to my clients a lot. And sometimes they're like, there are some really bad memes about it. So I, I want to be clear. I'm not, um, I'm not endorsing some of the memes that use this phrase, but the phrase I use is you have to choose your hard because it's hard to be in say a romantic relationship with someone who is narcissistic or emotionally abusive, emotionally immature. There's a lot of very hard things about that. It's also very hard to change or to end a relationship to say, if this doesn't change, I can't stay in this relationship to go through a court battle. All of those things are really hard too. And at every stage of, you know, what do I do in this relationship? You will have to ask yourself, you know, which hard can I choose today? Which hard can I live with today? And it may be that for a long time, the hard is. I'll stay in this relationship because I don't think I can tolerate the court battle piece. Yeah. And maybe one day that does change. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I have zero judgment or shame for people who say, I can't choose leaving today. I can't choose a court battle today. Absolutely. You know, that doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you, you know, a willing accomplice to your own abuse. It makes you the person who is choosing the hard that you can handle today. Yes, and that's very just, important. I mean, that's the reality. Thank you for mentioning that, Amy, because I think loved ones of someone in that type of relationship can be judgmental or can get frustrated or, you know, just want to rescue them or just want to see that person leave the relationship but they don't understand all of what you just explained and all of what's involved and what the person that's in the relationship is feeling like. And they just need you to love them and be there for them. If they do leave, you know, they don't need to be judged for sure. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Amy. I think that there was so much helpful information given and the, you know, anyone listening to this podcast can learn a lot about emotionally immature, narcissistic relationships, the way that people get bonded in them 
and what can be helpful in making a change if and when you're ready. And please check out, yeah, Amy's book, um, The Gaslighting Recovery Workbook, Healing from Emotional Abuse. That's probably a good place for people to kind of dip their toes in, right, Amy, and see, you know, learn more and apply it to their own situation. Yeah, I I wrote that book to be user friendly. So it is, you know, it's not necessarily specific to narcissistic relationships, but anyone who's been in a narcissistic relationship should be able to find something helpful in that book. Um, I'm also really appreciative of having had the opportunity to talk with you today. And I hope that there was something helpful in what I shared. And I also really wish you the best in your upcoming book. Thank you, Amy. Yeah, thank you so much. Amy has one coming out, as I mentioned in the beginning, with Amy Kemp um, for clinicians to treat adult children of narcissists. And this is very important work. And as we said, very fulfilling. And if you are a clinician or soon to be clinician who is interested in that, that would be a great place to learn and get more information and then to get that mentoring from someone like Amy or, you know, Amy herself, feel free to reach out to her and, you know, become that specialist, become that expert because Amy and I know there's not enough people in the field that specialize in this area and it's very needed. Um, Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. My book obstacles under the surface will be coming out in April and that will look at a lot of the different things that contribute to the patterns conscious or unconscious that we play out in our life. So what we discussed today will be one small piece of it, but there will be also, you know, other other patterns that we get stuck in and kind of exploring that so people can see for themselves what's really impacting them. Um, What we talked about today doesn't apply to everyone, but if it applies to you, please continue to get educated or if you're comfortable reaching out for therapy or for help, we don't want you to go through this or go through this without professional help. So please reach out if you feel comfortable and feel like you're ready to a therapist, um, particularly one that specializes in this area. Absolutely. You do not have to try to do this alone. It is okay to ask for help. And we strongly encourage, like, don't be afraid to ask for the help that you need, which is from someone who really understands these relationships and the unique challenges that they bring. That is true. Well, thank you for joining us today on Obstacles Under the Surface for our podcast. And I hope that you join in and listen to some of the future ones that I have coming up and take a look back at some of the previous ones. But thank you for listening today and have a peaceful rest of your day.